everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Lessons from the world's top professors. Anytime, anyplace. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. You're listening to The Happiness Formula. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Last time, Barry taught us why we can't just incentivize people to do good work. Today, he uncovers the secrets of effective motivation based on research, and he talks about how to answer those eternal questions that plague students and adults alike. What's my calling? Do I have one? And how do I find it? Here's Barry. So I hope you're convinced that good work is wise work. And what we're going to talk about now is what some of the uh, attributes are of good work and what role we as individuals can play in making our work good. A lot of what I talk to you about today derives from research done uh, by a colleague of mine named Amy Resnuski. And she and I have worked together on some of the studies I'm going to talk to you about. But the question is, when we're looking at work and deciding that it's a good, good work or not, is it a characteristic of the work 
Is it a characteristic of the worker, of the attitude people bring to their work, or is it some combination of both? And what we'll see is that there are certain kinds of jobs that it's very hard to turn into good jobs, but there's a lot that we as individuals can do to make bad work into at least better work. So let's talk first about a distinction that Amy and I made some years ago between three different attitudes people might have toward their work. I'll read you a scenario. Anderson works to earn enough money to support her life outside of her job. If Anderson were financially secure, she would no longer continue with this current line of work. But she would really rather be doing something else instead. Anderson's job is basically a necessity of life, a lot like breathing or sleeping. She often wishes the time would pass more quickly at work. Anderson greatly anticipates weekends and vacation. If she lived her life over again, Anderson would probably not go into the same line of work. Anderson would not encourage friends or her children to enter this line of work. She's very eager to retire. So this is a description of a made-up person named Anderson, and the description is meant to capture an attitude toward work that work is a job. Work is all about the paycheck. Now let's consider a different scenario. This is Brady. Brady basically enjoys work, but doesn't expect to be in this current job five years from now. Instead, Brady plans to move on to a better, higher-level job. Brady has several goals for the future pertaining to the positions she would eventually like to hold. Sometimes Brady's work seems like a waste of time, but Brady knows that she must do sufficiently well in this current position in order to move on. Brady can't wait to get a promotion. For Brady, a promotion means recognition of good work and is a sign of success in competition with coworkers. So this scenario is meant to capture an attitude toward work as a career rather than as a job. A job is doing the same thing day after day, week after week, year after year, uh, whereas if you have a career, you're on a trajectory. You're going somewhere. The work will get better. The work will get more important. The compensation will get better. The reason you're doing what you're doing today is because you're imagining that it's a step to doing something different and more important tomorrow. Now, people who have studied attitudes toward work have made this kind of distinction between jobs and careers for many, many years. What Amy and I did is add a third category of attitude toward work, and I'll read you this scenario. Kramer's work is one of the most important parts of her life. Kramer is very pleased to be in this line of work. Because what she does for a living is a vital part of who she is, it is one of the first things Kramer talks to people about. Kramer tends to take work home and on vacations, too. The majority of Kramer's friends are from where she works, and Kramer belongs to several organizations and clubs relating to her work. Kramer feels good about work because she loves it and because she thinks it makes the world a better place. Kramer would encourage friends and children to enter this line of work. 
Kramer would be pretty upset if forced to stop working, and she is not particularly looking forward to retirement. So this third attitude we described as having the attitude that work is a calling. And the word calling originated in a kind of religious context as being called by God to do this, that, or some other thing. And in this description, work is so central to who the person is that she couldn't imagine doing anything else. Retirement is not on the screen. She gets enormous satisfaction and fulfillment out of being on the job every day. And she doesn't need to be on a trajectory of increased status and increased salary. So just to turn this into a list, if you have a job, you work for pay, work is a necessity of life, you would stop in a minute if you could, you would do something else if given a chance, you can't wait for the weekend, TGIF, you're eager to retire, and you wouldn't encourage your friends or your children to do what you do. If you have a career, work is enjoyable, but you expect to be moving on to something better. Your goals have to do with your trajectory, uh, and you can't wait to get a promotion. And if you have a calling, work is one of the most important parts of your life. You're pleased to be doing this kind of work. It's a vital part of your identity. You take work home and on vacations. Many of your friends are from the workplace. You belong to several organizations and clubs relating to your work. You think your work makes the world a better place. You would encourage your friends and your children to do this kind of work, and you're not looking forward to retirement. So this third category, job, career, calling, introduces um, something about um, the, the motivation that people bring with them to the workplace. And I guess it's obvious from the description that people who feel called to do the work they do get much more satisfaction out of it than people who are simply working for a paycheck. And when we did the research on this, we found that for most people, their orientation to work was unambiguous in the sense that some people thought what they were doing was a job. Some people thought that what they were doing was a career. And some people thought that what they were doing was a calling. But interestingly, when we did research with people, all of whom were doing the same job, about a third of them thought it was a job, about a third of them thought it was a career, and about a third of them thought it was a calling. And what this suggests is that to some degree, it's less about the work you're doing and more about the attitude you bring to the work you're doing. Nominally, all of these people are doing the same work, and yet their attitudes toward it are quite different. And it turns out that your attitude toward your work matters. What we find is that if you think your work is a calling, you do better work, you get more satisfaction out of your work, you're more satisfied with your life in general, and you have better physical health. In other words, having work that is a calling is good for you, and it's good for the people who you work for, for the customers you sell to, for the clients 
you serve. Now, what does it take for work to be a calling? Several things are required. Uh, you know, it's not easy to work in a call center answering irate calls from people who can't get their software to work and somehow convince yourself that, you're, that you are called to help people use their word processing software or their internet access software. It's not impossible, but it's hard. And whereas if you're a brain surgeon, it's not so hard to convince yourself that you have a calling. Nonetheless, what we think is true is that in order to think you have a calling, you need to have a sense of the purpose of the work you do and of the organization you do it for. You need to have a sense of partnership. You're not simply being given a list of instructions to follow. Instead, you have a, a fair amount of discretion and autonomy, and you work with your managers, not for your managers. And you need to have a sense that um, what exactly you do in the course of a work day or a work week is to a large degree up to you. In other words, you need to be working in a workplace that seems to encourage and nurture the use of practical wisdom in doing your job. If you're a hospital janitor and you've got that long list of duties that I talked to you about several lectures ago, and you've got a supervisor walking around behind you and making sure that you do all of the items on the list and nothing else, then it's going to be pretty hard for you to have the attitude that your work is participating in a, an, or, an institution that cures disease and eases suffering. If, however, you're working as a janitor and you have a fair amount of discretion and control over how you spend your day so that you can try to cheer up patients, you can try to make patients' relatives feel a bit more comfortable, you can help nurses as they discharge some of their duties with individual patients. If you've got the discretion to do that kind of work as part of your job, even though it's not part of your job description, well, then your attitude toward your work as a janitor will be or can be very different. Almost any work then can be a calling. Even if you're working retail in a shopping mall, if your attitude is that your job is to sell as much stuff as possible, then chances are it's a job. If your attitude is that everyone who comes into the store has a problem and your job is to help them solve the problem, then it's not so hard to imagine feeling that what you're doing is a calling. People leave the store in better shape than they were in when they came in. Now, it doesn't have to be that you're making a major change in people's lives. It can be a minor change, but minor improvements in the lives of several hundred people every week is not a bad thing to show for a, uh, a work week or even a work life. Mike here. Did you find yourself relating to Anderson, Brady, or Kramer when it comes to your own work life? Do you have a job, a career, or a calling? We'll take a quick break, but when we come back, 
how companies can miss the mark when it comes to inspiring their teams and hiring the right people. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What doesn't make work a calling is an inspiring message from the CEO at the annual shareholders meeting about how uh, the company is there to serve customers, clients, shareholders, and stakeholders, after which nothing that the company does is true to that inspiring message from the CEO. In fact, often what happens when CEOs make these speeches is it creates a kind of cynicism in the workforce because they know that their day-to-day activities have nothing to do with this lofty vision that the CEO just expressed. Instead, what's required is that somehow the lofty message from the CEO gets translated, filters down into every aspect of the system so that the instructions your managers give you about how to do your job uh, 
are designed to achieve the very same goals that the CEO articulated at the annual shareholders meeting. Often, the CEO will say, we are here to say it's a, you know, a major bank. We are here to help finance new businesses, to help people buy houses, uh, and to help people save for their retirement. We serve the community. And then the actual behavior of the bank, you're, they're charging fees to people for services that weren't actually provided. They're opening accounts that people don't even know they have. They're basically committing larceny against their customers, then all you do is create cynicism. But if this message that you are a bank that is there to serve the community is reflected in how the loan officers at the local branch act and how the tellers at the local branch act and customers are treated well uh, and helped rather than cheated, well, then, even though you're working as a teller in a bank, you can feel called to the work that you do because of the role that you play in serving the community. And we see this. Um, the Volvo, the car company, this is some years ago, um, you started showing testimonials from owners of Volvos who talked about how their lives were spared in serious car crashes. Volvo was, of course, always reputed to be the safest of cars, basically built like a tank. A medical device maker named, called Medtronic uh, showed testimonials of patients whose lives were saved by some of these medical devices. Uh, and these patients made little speeches at holiday parties. And this, of course, inspired the people who worked for this company because they could see what the mission of the company was and how life improving. Uh, their work was if they did their work well. Adam Grant did with um, college students who were trying to get alumni to make contributions to a scholarship fund and a five-minute presentation by a recent graduate who had only been able to go to this institution because of a scholarship dramatically motivated the callers and they got three times as much in contributions from alumni as they, as another group that hadn't heard this speech from a recent graduate. So the point here is not simply that you have a mission that improves welfare, but that you are public and articulate about that mission and that you make sure that the mission is communicated all the way up and down the chain of employees. And when you do that, even people who show up for work every day to do something fairly mundane can feel like what they're doing is a calling and not merely a job to pay the bills. Interestingly, Amy and I did a study of West Point cadets. West Point, you know, trains people who go on to become officers in the U.S. Army. It's a very rigorous, high-quality college. Admission, uh, there is no tuition. If you get in, it's free. Uh, and you, in addition to studying the academic subjects that people study in universities, you also learn how to be an officer in the military. And you're required to serve five years after you graduate from West Point. That's the way you pay back your free 
college tuition. So we studied about 12,000 West Point cadets, and we had information that West Point collects about their reasons for coming to West Point, about their demographics, their race, their gender, their ethnicity, their family income, stuff like that, and what was the primary motivation for coming. Some students came to West Point and said, I want to go to West Point because it's free college. I want to go to West Point because I'm going to learn skills that will enable me to get a great job after I leave the army. Uh, I want to go to West Point because I'll make good connections with other people that will help me in my life later on. And other people gave reasons for coming to West Point that had to do with, I want to serve my country. I want to be part of a, a respected organization that's larger than I am. I want to be loyal to the United States and do my part. I want to defend the homeland, those sorts of things that are more sort of intrinsically connected to being a soldier. And so we had all these 18-year-olds who entered West Point for a wide variety of different reasons. And the question we asked was, does the reason people have for going to West Point affect A, how successful they are at West Point, and B, how likely they are to stay in the Army after they've done their five years of military service. And what we found is that if you go to West Point because it's going to get you a good job, or you're going to make connections, or you're going to learn skills that will uh, be very remunerative in later life, you are a worse student at West Point than if you go to West Point to serve your country. If you go to West Point because you're hoping to get a better job later on, you are less likely to stay in the Army after your five years required service is over than if you go to West Point because you want to serve your country. If you go to West Point for instrumental reasons, you are less likely to get recommended for early promotion than if you go to West Point because you want to serve your country. In other words, the reasons people have as 18-year-olds for entering West Point cast a shadow on what they're like at West Point and after. In some cases, we have information about these students as 18-year-olds and then track them until they're in their early 30s, and their reasons for entering West Point at 18 give us useful information about what they're going to be like as soldiers or not when they're 31. So reasons matter, and having good reasons for engaging in an activity, it turns out, makes you better at that activity than having less good reasons for engaging in the activity. And what means good reasons and bad reasons? Well, good reasons are reasons that are sort of intrinsically connected to the activity. Serving your country, leading others, defending the homeland, all of those are intrinsically connected to serving in the military. Learning a skill, there are other places you could go and learn a skill. Making connections, there are other places you could go to make connections. So those are not internally connected 
to going to West Point and serving in the army. And external reasons are less effective motivators than internal reasons. And it's not hard to see why this would be true. Suppose you want to improve your golf game. If your motivation is to become a better golfer, you will practice assiduously, uh, work on various aspects of your game, read about uh, how to be a better golfer, watch videos about being a better golfer. You do all of those things to improve your golf game. What you won't do is cheat on your scorecard and say you shot a 74 when in fact you shot an 81. Why won't you do that? You won't do that because the score on the scorecard is not a reflection of how good a golfer you are unless you're honest about the score on the scorecard. So if your motivation is to impress other people, then you might cheat on your scorecard. If your motivation is to become a better golfer, then when you cheat on the scorecard, the only person you're cheating is yourself. And so it seems obvious that if you have the right reasons for wanting to be a better golfer, you will almost certainly become a better golfer than you will if you have the wrong reasons. And uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer, a person I mentioned to you a few lectures ago, in talking about, writing about how companies should make hiring decisions, said something that is uh, quite counterintuitive until you think about it. And when you start to think about it, it's like, duh, yeah, that's exactly the right thing to do. Here's what he said. He said, there are some things that we know how to teach people to do. We know how to teach people to do spreadsheet analysis. We know how to teach people to write code. Uh, presumably, we know how to teach people to do uh, accounting audits. There are other things we don't know how to teach people. We don't know how to teach people to have integrity. We don't know how to teach people to have commitment. We don't know how to teach people to have empathy. I mean, maybe somebody knows how to teach these things to people, but it's a lot harder to teach those attributes, those character traits, than it is to teach people how to do an audit. And his suggestion is that companies should hire people on the basis of attributes they don't know how to teach, and then teach the skills they do know how to teach. This is, of course, the opposite of what most companies do. Most companies hire people who already know how to do spreadsheet analysis so that they can be adding productivity to the company uh, day one on the job. They don't worry so much about the character traits that are going to matter in the long term. So his point is hire good people and then teach them the skills instead of hiring people who have skills and then hoping that they're good people. As I say, this is counterintuitive until somebody says it. He said it and it was like the scales were removed from my eyes because I think that what he said is exactly right. We want to hire people who feel called to do the work that we're going to be asking them to do. So a job isn't just a job. I mean, it could be. But if you really want to feel better about your life, finding a way to connect your job to your calling is a great way to do it. 
I hope you join us next time when Barry explains how to craft your job. The Happiness Formula from One Day University is a production of iHeart Podcasts and School of Humans. If you're enjoying the show, leave a review in your favorite podcast app and check out the Curiosity Audio Network for podcasts covering history, pop culture, true crime, and more. School of Humans. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.